Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Fritz, and I'm one of the pastors here. Murray will be back uh, from vacation this week, so you can barrage him with a bunch of emails and questions and welcome him back. Um, we are finishing up a series uh, out of the Psalms this summer, uh, questions that we see in the Psalms, and this week is a psalm with no questions, no questions asked. It is probably your favorite psalm. I want to start this morning, though, going back a little further. I was reading this week uh, in 1 Kings. You may know this story of two kings. There's the king of Israel and the king of Judah. God's kingdom is divided at this point, and Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, and Ahab is the king of Israel, and they're about to go to battle together. And they ask all the prophets, there's about 400 prophets at that time, and they say, shall we go up? And all the prophets are of one accord, yes, go, you're going to destroy them, you're going to win. But something doesn't sit right with Jehoshaphat, and he says, isn't there another prophet? And Ahab says, yeah, there's one other guy, but he never says anything good. You can kind of relate to that. And uh, sure enough, they go ask this guy, Micah, and he's like, nope, I'm not going to prophesy what they prophesied. And sometimes we can come to the Bible like that. We, can, we, want the, we want Christianity to say a lot of good things. We want it to agree with everything that we want it to agree with, and we want it to agree with the world or religion. But oftentimes when you think about it, we want it to say good things. And sometimes it can sound bad, but it's really good. And sometimes it can sound good, but it's really bad. When you get to Psalm 23, there is nothing about this text that you can go, man, I don't like that. There are things all through the Bible that make you a little uncomfortable or squeamish. You're like, I don't understand those things. And we've been trying to do that this summer. But, but I just wanted us to settle here in Psalm 23 before we go to our next series. And look at, look at God's goodness as we see him as our shepherd and as our host. So please follow along with me in Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely a good word for us this morning. Let me pray. 
God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this particular psalm that we have all heard, even if we have never been in a church before. Lord, because it rings so beautifully of your goodness and your care for your people. Would you immerse us in it today? Would you let us sit at the feet of the Good Shepherd and be tended to by him today? In Christ's name, amen. So this week I was getting a haircut, and if you saw the back of my hair this morning, that's not a surprise because he really went to town on the back of my head. But as he was going to town on the back of my head, I saw walking in the barbershop a sermon illustration in the making. I knew it was going to be a sermon illustration. I was like, how am I going to use this? I don't know how, but I know it's going to be one. And this is what it was. It was this kind of big, burly guy in his 30s with his two boys. And he had probably a six or seven-year-old who comes in there. He's ready to get his hair cut. And he goes right up to the chair and sits in the chair and gets his hair cut. And then there's about a two or three-year-old that's just that classic too-cool-for-school kid. He's got on a hat that's really cool, and he's got these shades on inside the barbershop, and he's got these cool summer shorts, and he's just looking cool, and he's on top of things until he has to get in the barber's chair. And then he starts screaming uncontrollably. And the only thing that will settle him down, the only thing that will get him in that chair is as if his dad puts on one of those barbershop capes and scoops up his son while he's crying and sits in the chair and the little boy begins to settle down. And it doesn't hurt that he had an iPhone with him. But I thought about that and I thought about this text this text reminds us of our need to be loved. Our need to be cared for. Our need to be tended. Our need to be held. Some of you are getting a little squeamish right now because you don't like to wrestle with your emotions and your needs especially to be held. But let me, think, let me help you think about this for a second. What happens between the time that we're two or three when we instinctively know that we need to be held, we actually run to our parents to be held, and when we're 82 and 83, when, like it or not, you're going to have to be held again and cared for. And most of us will brisk at that. What happens to us? We quit wanting to be cared for. We hide our needs. As Sinclair Ferguson says, we mask our fears. We mask our needs. We bottle them up. We keep them in. We press them down. Narrow word. And yet it's just coming out of us and coming out of us. Today I would encourage you to just open yourself up to be held by God. This is a psalm about God's tending His people. 
God's care for you. God's holding you. In fact, it is a psalm of confidence is what commentators call it. A psalm of confidence and security in God's love. And there is a reason, isn't there, that this is the billboard number one scripture. Why? Because it's so good and it is about God's loving care for His people. We see two images of God here. The first is very simply and easily found. It is that the Lord is our shepherd and we are His sheep. I asked Jake if I was dummy and he was stupid or if he was dummy and I was stupid. But the Lord is our shepherd and we are his sheep. Look at verse 1. It begins with, again, we've seen this throughout the Psalms, the covenantal name of God, Yahweh. It is a reminder to us that everything that follows flows out of God's covenantal love. His, relation, his relational love for His people. It harkens back to Genesis when God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, you wanderer, you person that are running after idols and other gods and you're looking to the stars because you know there is a God in this world, I am He. And I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people and I'm going to hold you in that relationship and there's nothing you can do about it. But love me in return. The Lord, and that word for Lord there in the Hebrew is emphatic. In other words, it is our tendency to run to other things to be our shepherd. And to look to other lords, to other relationships, whether it is a parent or even your children or your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, it will head fake you every time. The psalm from the get-go is emphatically saying those things, those people are not your covenantal Lord. I, the Lord, is our shepherd. And notice what he says. He is my shepherd. Again, very personal, very intimate. In the Baptist church that I grew up in, I can't tell you how many times that I heard the phrase, well, it's really about a personal relationship with God, right? And it certainly can be more than that, but it's not less than that, is it? Because my church had that right. This psalm reminds us that the Lord is our God. He is personal and intimate. And it's a, in a relational context. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice what David doesn't say and what he could have said. He could have Saying, or said like we sang earlier that the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is my defender, the Lord is my king, the Lord is my mountain. He says the Lord is my shepherd. 
David was a shepherd and he understood all that it meant to be a shepherd. A shepherd knows his sheep. A shepherd lives with his sheep. A shepherd cares for her sheep. I guess that would be a shepherdess. But in other words, the shepherd's life is bound up with his sheep. The shepherd thinks about his sheep. The shepherd is always doing for his sheep. Everything is on behalf of his sheep. His life is bound up with his sheep. And you know what it's like to be bound up with other relationships, right? If you're in your 40s right now and you have children, you are probably bound up in the life of your children as they go very often you go. And if you have older parents, you are bound up in your aging parents' life. As they go, you go. The shepherd's life is bound up with his sheep. And David thinks upon that, and his response to that, and his reaction follows, what do I need? The Lord emphatically is my shepherd. His life is bound up with my life. I'm like one of these sheep that he's always looking out for and caring for and thinking ahead about. Can you believe that? I shall not want. I lack nothing. As one translation says, I lack no good thing. I have everything that I need because the Lord is bound up with my life. Do you struggle with contentment? Do you struggle with coveting and thinking that someone else's life is better than yours, someone else's situation, someone else's personality or financial standing or relationships? You know, Paul says this in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not a slogan for a sports team. That is so out of context. What he is saying there is talking about contentment. That Jesus is the secret of contentment. And therefore, if you have Jesus, you have everything. Jesus said it this way in his parable about the pearl of great value. If you have the kingdom of God and you have nothing else, you are dirt poor. You are lonely on a desert island with nothing to eat. You have everything. If you have everything that the world has to offer and you don't have the pearl of great price, Jesus says you have nothing. The Lord is our shepherd. David says, how could I need anything else I shall not want? And then notice what this good shepherd does in verse 2. These are some of our favorite verses. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. When I first read that, I thought, does that mean he makes us lie down? Anybody feel that? In other words, like, I just can't stop. I work all the time. I'd love to rest. God just like forces us to rest. I don't think that's what it's saying. There's really nothing in the Hebrew that helps us there. 
but it is clear that this is a shepherd that is leading us and guiding us to everything that we need to eat and drink, to both feed and hydrate. Uh, this is what you might call a sheep's happy place. There is green pasture and there is all the water that we need. Just the, the sound of it is serene, it's a balm, it's restful, it's a happy place for sheep. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, not only does he give us rest and refreshment, but he restores our souls. He restores our soul. What does David mean by that? Well, think about this for a minute. David knew something about needing his soul restored, didn't he? Needing his soul restored and being led in paths of righteousness. Why? Because David had gone down paths of unrighteousness. And because of that, he needed his soul restored. David, as one writer said, had broken every commandment through his affair with Bathsheba. Think about what he did. David, as, as we've said here before, he broke the first four commandments about loving and worshiping God when he jumped out of God's arms, so to speak, and jumped into the arms of Bathsheba. It wasn't just that David was breaking rules or breaking commandments. His heart had moved away from God and he was looking for that intimate covenantal relationship that he was built and designed for with God. And he had moved away from that. And then what happened? Well, he began coveting. Something's going to fill me. Something's going to work. And so he stole another man's wife and he committed adultery with her. And he lied and he murdered and he lied. David broke every rule in the book. Do you think you're going to keep them? We're not. God does not look at us and say, How are you doing with those commandments? You keeping them all today? In fact, God says, here's the path to restoration. I restore sinners and I restore your soul. And when you are restored by God, when David understood his sin and he confessed it to God because his good buddy came alongside and told him a parable about what? About a sheep. And he was forgiven by God, and he was welcomed back in God's grace. And what did that lead to? It led to paths of righteousness. In fact, in Psalm 51, David says, I will use my experience of being restored to God's grace and forgiveness to build up the church. Do you realize that some of the greatest ministry in the church flows out of our being restored. For example, we have men's groups here. 
Do you know how they're started? They're started because men have found themselves in situations where their hearts had, had gone away from God or maybe even their spouse. And they end up finding forgiveness and finding restoration. And they find God's grace so good and so, so refreshing and so renewing and so forgiving that they reach out to others and say, you got to come see this. you got to hear this. you got to be restored as well. One of the biggest things that my wife and I sort of learned in parenting five children is all the things we were trying to teach them about righteousness, they all had some big stumble and then they learned it through being restored to God. And I know we want to protect our children. But God may design it so that they blow it that they might come back to Him and be restored. The Lord is a shepherd that gives us rest and refreshment, restoration for our souls and forgiveness that puts us on righteous paths that now have hearts that want to follow God and serve God. And then look at verse 4. Real help. See, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and there's some debate about what this phrase means. It's used about 20 times in the Old Testament. Is it death, death, or is it just the darkness that death kind of throws on things? Last Monday, there was a casket here, not this table. There was a casket, and there was a dead body in it. And that, that whole future that we have sort of throws the shadow on the life that we have. And if we're honest and we stop and we think about it, we'll admit that our natural inclination is to be afraid. And notice what God does. Listen to what David says. Even though this is the world in which we live in with this, this shadow of death hanging over it, here's the confidence. I will fear no evil. Why? What is greater than David's fears? What takes away David's fear? What takes away our fear if we are honest enough to admit that we're terrified that our children would blow it? We're terrified that we do something that we think we couldn't be restored for. David says, my confidence is in this. It is in the presence of God even when I'm in the darkness. Do you see that? See, we think when we go to those places, God disappears. And yes, we talked about God's discipline where He hides His face, but we never lose God's favor. We're never going to be saved from the darkness. We're never protected in the darkness until we realize that God is in the darkness with us. And we obviously see this in Christ when He takes on death face to face. God's presence in the second person of the Trinity saying, I am here. I am not like those other gods. I don't sit up in the heavens. I don't just send my rod and my staff. I don't just come without a rod and a staff. I am here. I am present 
with my rod and my staff. We were talking about this in our staff meeting this week, and I think it was Tony that said, he comes with an armed presence. God is armed. I don't really know or care what you think about gun control, but I will say this. When you're in the presence of real enemies, you need an armed presence. You need a shepherd that is there to defend you. And David is in this situation, and you can imagine him just sitting there one evening on a hillside protecting his sheep, and he's got his rod and his staff, and David's thinking, I'm like those sheep. And every time I see a wolf or a lion or some hireling coming to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus shows up and goes, bam! And all I got to do is look to Jesus. All I got to do is look to that cross and I can see God's armed presence on my behalf. David is not looking at himself. Do you know who is the subject of this psalm? Over and over and over, it is God, God, God. It is God's armed presence that gives us comfort. In 2 Thessalonians, there is this, these passages just kind of freak me out, to be honest. Just because you're a minister doesn't mean you understand every part of the Bible. And even though you study these things, there are still things you're like, the man of lawlessness, I don't get that one. There's a lot of things written about this. You can look at it later. But, but Paul writes that before Jesus returns, there is this spirit of lawlessness, sort of worship ourselves, don't worship God, do whatever you want to do, all that good stuff. But, but then there's this man of lawlessness that shows up. And listen to what he says. And this guy's doing signs and wonders and things that provoke awe and sort of fear. And he says, when he shows up, when Jesus returns, the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the man of lawlessness simply because he shows up. His presence. I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about when I was most scared as a kid and it was very often on the bus going to school. Does that bring anybody fear, reliving any fears? And it's because I would often say dumb things and get myself in trouble with bigger kids. And one time I did and said something I shouldn't have and this kid stood up. And when somebody stands up on the bus, you know that you're in trouble. But I also had an older brother who in middle school was in the over 285 pound bench press club. And he was an ox. And this time when I was trembling and I was looking down the bus aisle, and this kid was walking toward me. My older brother, Skeeter, who was on the back of the bus where all the cool, strong kids hung out, he gets up, and he starts walking. And he gets closer and closer to my threat. And all of a sudden, I wasn't scared anymore. I actually kind of started laughing. 
And this guy's like, what's going on? And he looks over his shoulder and he sees my brother and he just like sits down. It was because of my older brother's presence. And too often what we do is we say, well, I have to be my shepherd. I have to be my defense. I have to be my righteousness. I have to restore myself. You are not the shepherd. Your older brother, the Lord Jesus, with his power and his might to deal with the guilt and the power of sin, is your older brother. Let him shepherd you. Secondly, we see that the Lord is not just our shepherd. There's actually another metaphor here. We don't tend to think of this psalm. If you said, what's Psalm 23 about? Everybody go, the Lord is our shepherd. No one in this building would say the Lord is our host. But notice the second image he gives us in verse 5. It is of a gracious, lavish host. A host that welcomes sheep to his table. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We don't have time to go into all of this. But what I want you to see is that this good shepherd is also a host. And he sets a lavish table for his guest. It is literally what commentators say. It's a table that is set for a king. It's a six-course meal. This, it's just not just like McDonald's or even Cracker Barrel or baked potatoes and burgers. This is like a lavish feast where, where the host goes above and beyond. It's sort of like what you would do for Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's festive because he anoints his head with oil. That meant joy and celebration, sort of like a wedding celebration. It's lavish. Notice what he says, his cup overflows. In other words, there's not like a half a cup or nothing in the cup or a cup that just gets to the brim. It's a cup that's always overflowing. It's like the oil in the jar in Elisha and Elijah's stories. It just goes on and on. The resources are always there. See, we think God's grace and God's lavish love is going to run out or we blow it and it runs out. And God says, no, this is where you've got to see it's overflowing. You may have read or heard that there was a, the largest football attendance at a game in Pittsburgh, bigger than the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it was a college game between two arch rivals, Pittsburgh and West Virginia, over 70,000 people, and they ran out of beer. Can you imagine? God never runs out of grace. Listen to how my friend wrote it. Just when we are about to throw in the hope towel because the darkness feels too dark, God gives us saning grace. You bring us back to gospel sanity. Throwing the spotlight on Jesus' empty tomb, your occupied throne, and our coming life in the new heaven and earth just when we are about to enter a float in the cynicism parade, weary from all the meanness and madness, biting and devouring, you give us sufficient grace 
not sufficient as in barely enough, but in surely enough, overflowing enough. And notice where God does it. God does it, oddly enough, in the presence of our enemies. Now, this is interesting. Commentators go to town on this. Is this a king winning a battle and he's bringing his captives in to witness this great victory feast? I don't think so because it's not the king's enemies or the shepherd's enemies. It's our enemies. It's the things that go through your head that say, you'll never be good enough. And the host says, look at my overflowing cup. It's, it's the voices in us and say, do more. And the host says, look at my body prepared for you. Give more of your life. And the host says, look at my son's blood spilled for you. He is the Good shepherd. Jesus said himself, he said, I am the gate for the sheep. All the others are up to no good. Every one of them are sheep rustlers. I am the gate and anyone that goes through me will be cared for. They will freely go in and go out and there will always be pasture there. But he also says that he is the good shepherd. And how do we know that he actually is the good shepherd? Because he came and he was present. He was the rod and the staff. And his life was bound up so much for the sheep that he gave his life for us. He is truly the good shepherd. Notice here how David ends the psalm. Surely truthfully you can bank on it goodness and mercy will follow me all the days not some of the days not just here and there but all of the days of my life goodness and mercy will follow me now think about this for a second when we think of following in the bible we think of discipleship and we think about what jesus said come and follow me but if you look at that word, as we'll see in a couple weeks in our next series, it means to abide in Jesus. We think of discipleship as, well, we've got to follow Him. This is saying that God follows us. His goodness and mercy is hunting us down. And it's not like a policeman in the Hebrew. It's more like a lover. It's like Murray said a few weeks ago with the runaway bunny. God's mercy and goodness will never let us out of its sight. And we therefore will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you believe that God is your shepherd and your host? And he has done everything at his expense to set this table so that you can come. Do you believe that God is holding you and that you need to be held? Let's pray.
Lord, thank You for these beautiful images that we have in this psalm. Thank You that they are all summed up in the coming and the life and the death of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Thank You that He laid down His life for us, His sheep. And in some crazy mixed metaphor way, we see sheep like us invited to a feast. A feast that is completely paid for, that is prepared out of your loving initiative and grace. Lord, for those this morning that don't think they're sheep, that don't think they need to be held, or they're trying to deal with that in other ways, would you... Lord, take away all of those fears that are driving that unbelief. And would you invite them, even this morning, God, to come to the Good Shepherd. Lord, this table is a reminder of your grace. It is for sinners. It is for sheep. Let us feast upon Christ today. In Christ's name, amen.